This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 121 of the North American Outdoors Podcast. My name is Heidi Rayo, and I'm coming to you from the great state of Texas. When I started my podcast about two years ago, I decided to do these weekly. So every Friday morning at 5 a.m., another one of my North American Outdoors podcasts goes live. Then I decided how I'm going to break apart my seasons, and it seemed to flow pretty well that I would do about 25 episodes per season. So today marks the very last episode in season five before next week kicks off season six. So I've got them broken down by season. You know, in the fall, we have a chunk of podcasts that talk about activities that we do in the fall, like hunting, different hunting activities and different outdoor things that we do then. And then the springtime activities. And then we've got our summer podcasts. So, so far, it seemed to work out pretty well. But a couple things I wanted to talk about this week is um, every year, as soon as the kids get out of school, the day the kids get out of school, we have our travel trailer loaded and hooked up to our vehicle. And as soon as they get home, we take off. They drop off their backpacks in the house and we're gone. We spend about three weeks up in the Northwest, up into Wyoming, Montana, and we park our travel trailer at a campground and we go exploring. You know, we'll put three, 4,000 miles on our pickup truck over those three weeks, just crossing the country up in the Northwest, um, exploring the national national parks, national forests and grasslands, Bureau of Land Management areas, and just doing a deeper dive into our great wonders of the outdoors. We've always taken our kids with us and exposed them uh, deep into our travels as we possibly could. 
Um, having kids never slowed us down. They just became part of our adventures and we learned how to adjust and adapt and overcome anything that uh, was brought before us and learned how to do it carrying, you know, four young boys at the time. Now they're a little bit older, but it sure was a challenge when we started our journeys about 15 years ago when we had four toddlers. So that in itself is an adventure. But why I'm reflecting on that today is because now that we're back in in Texas after our weeks of travel up in the mountains is listening to the kids talk about, you know, their adventures and their experiences and the things that they remember. You know, our memories, you know, we pick out important things that, you know, stick with us or that are are impactful that we remember, but it's so cool to me to listen to, you know, a memory from a young person and what sticks out in their mind, you know, something that might have been so irrelevant to us that we didn't even give it a second thought is something that they have, you know, wedged into their memories and they dwell upon and and reflect back. Um, That came to be, you know, this trip um, when we were traveling, um, listening to our youngest Luke, you know, was asking if we could go to this particular picnic spot. Well, we have lots of picnic spots because, you know, when you have four kids, you have to travel on a budget and you have lots of peanut butter jars that you carry with you and bread and chips and, you know, those kinds of snacks that you have on the road. Because if you've ever traveled into national parks and some of these remote areas, there's really not many selections of places to go eat Um, and certainly not eat out all the time because if you do find a place to go, yeah, they've got you. It's it's pretty expensive. So when there's six of us traveling, you know, we definitely have to watch our pennies and, you know, eat on a budget as much as we can. But of course, we have our, you know, occasional treats and we do go out, of course. But that said, you know, Luke was asking if we could go to this one particular picnic spot. And what he remembered were all of the chipmunks that were running around our picnic table and how him and his brothers would play on this huge fallen um, lodgepole pine tree that laid across the picnic area. And, you know, at first we just didn't realize what he was asking about, but he described that picnic area, I mean, to the T. He remembered every single detail about that spot. And, you know, of course, once he realized or once he made us realize what he was talking about, we certainly went back there and had our picnic lunch to, to you know, have a memory of that. But, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, why, why does that spot stick out in your mind? You know, why do you remember that one picnic table with all those chipmunks? And what he told me, you know, was so cool. And it just goes back to reinforce why it's important to, you know, dive into your outdoor experiences and get your kids involved so young and so often. The reason he loved that spot so much is because that's where he and his brothers played. They played all the time, but this one particular spot, you know, we would have, you know, an hour, hour and a half, you know, picnic because they would run up and down this fallen lodgepole pine. Of course, it was safe, but they were running and jumping and, you know, playing with the chipmunks and, you know, just acting like boys should be acting out in the outdoors. 
And those were the memories that he had. He just remembered every single detail and he would go down the line and say, you know, do you remember when John John did this and Matthew did that and when Dominic helped me do this? So he had such vivid memories of his brothers and, and family time, you know, at that particular picnic spot. And again, you know, to me and my husband, it's like it's just another place to park and stretch and get out and, you know, get out of the vehicle and have some lunch. But to the kids, you know, having them recall, you know, detailed memories of those spots and those stops year after year and why it was important was what really struck me in his, you know, conversation with me is not just because it was a picnic spot that was really cool with chipmunks, but it was because what he did at that picnic spot and spending time together with his brothers and and his family in the outdoors. And we see that so much on our travels. Um, We see a lot of parents um, toting around a lot of kids. Um, some of them are as young as babies. Like when Luke was a baby, I had one of those backpack things that Luke rode in and, you know, on my back and I would walk the boardwalks or walk the trails and Luke would just be bebopping on my shoulders, um, sitting in his little backpack carrier thing. And I saw so much of that on this trip and it just made me, you know, smile because looking back, that's, those are the memories that your kids, you know, recall and hold close to them. Um, When the kids would go back to school in the fall, when they were younger, they used to have um, writer's workshop is what they called it in elementary school. And they would have to just start writing. I mean, the teacher would have them pick out one small topic, just something like chipmunks, and then build a story around that small topic. And I guess I never realized it until the end of each school year when the kids would come home and their backpacks full of all their stuff from their desks or their classrooms, um, they would have a writer's workshop notebook. Each of them did in each of their grade levels. And every single story, every single moment, every paragraph, every poem, every everything they wrote about were, were the travels that we went on as a family. It was all about our trips up to Yellowstone National Park, our hikes in the Tetons, our photographing, you know, grizzly bears with their babies, you know, seeing the moose, you know, walking through the um, willows, you know, going fishing in the mountain streams, you know, all of these moments that we work so hard as parents to, you know, do everything we can to get these kids outdoors and just get them to see nature. Um, apparently, it paid off because they would just go to town writing stories and, you know, just spilling out on blank pieces of paper, all these different um, thoughts and remembrances of of what they've done together. And it all had that common theme. I mean, my boys, fortunately, they all love the outdoors. Fortunately, they all love wildlife, um, photographing them, taking pictures, you know, writing about them. So that's really cool that they all have that same common um, interest. And of course, we 
did a big part pushing them that way, but still, um, it stuck. So it's really, really a neat thing to see how they just think about this stuff all year long. And it, it shows in all of their schoolwork, all of their assignments and all of their journal journaling is all their adventures they've had on these road trips that my family took together. Um, when the kids, you know, as far back as they can remember, Luke was a baby, he wasn't even a year old, when he first came up here to um, the Northwest and Wyoming, Montana. And I think Dominic was probably um, six or seven for his first trip. So this is all they know. I mean, Dominic doesn't ever remember a summer before Yellowstone um, going to the national park because that's all we've ever done. Every summer, we did this really big trip. Not saying it was easy. I mean, we'd save all year long. And, you know, anytime you go on any road trip with family, all of you combined in one vehicle, especially me, um, because I have five boys in my life. So think about poor me riding in my vehicle, listening to all the chaos that goes on. And then flash forward a couple years, a couple years ago, we actually had a bright idea of taking a few of our dogs with us. Um, that was fun because our breed of choice are called Finnish Spitz. And if you're not familiar with what a Finnish Spitz dog is, look it up. Um, go to YouTube and look up Finnish Spitz. They're called Barking Bird Dogs. Um, they're called that for a reason. Um, they have been clocked at barking 160 barks per minute. And they're actually used in the cold countries, you know, Norway, Finland, they're more popular in those um, colder climates than they are in the States. But they're actually used as hunting dogs. And they are used to bay up um, birds or tree bears, which is really cool. Um, because when the hunters turn the dogs loose, um, they get, go to sniffing and picking up their scent trails. And all of a sudden, they just start barking like crazy, barking like crazy. And that alerts the hunters to go to the area where they are. And lo and behold, they'll have birds, you know, hemmed up or they'll have a bear that's treed in areas where it's legal to do that. So um, anyway, we decided to um, invest, I guess is a good word, in these Finnish Spitz dogs. And there's not very many breeders in the United States. Um, I know I'm going off on a tangent, but this will all come back around and make sense when we talk back about bringing these dogs with us on vacation. Um, so we actually adopted our oldest dog, Yukon, from the shelter. And when we went looking for a puppy, um, we saw her and she just stood out like a sore thumb. I mean, she was this little red ball of fur with these giant big ears. She looked like a red fox. And of course, we all fell in love with her. We all, you know, decided that that's the one we had to have. So um, we adopted her, brought her home. And what we found out was as she got a little bit older, she started just having this amazing vocalization. Like she would start singing and the noises that she made were so cool. So we started doing some research on what the heck she was. Because when we adopted her, of course, everything at the shelter seems to be a shepherd mix of some type. 
So John happened to be looking through a hunting magazine one day and he saw a breed that looked just like Yukon, looked just like a red fox. And the breed was Finnish Spitz. So when we started doing our research, um, they had very similar um, characteristics to how Yukon was behaving. And without spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars and getting her genetically tested, um, we decided that she probably had a little bit, if not a lot, of Finnish Spitz in her, which would make sense why she ended up at the pound. Because if you are not um, tolerant or used to a lot of noise in your life, if you're not used to chaos in your life, like I am, um, I could see how people could easily bring these puppies to the the shelter to, you know, put them up for adoption. Because it takes a special kind of person family to be able to tolerate this particular breed. They are the best, most loving, friendliest, and most amazing breed with kids and families. But again, you've got to have the right um, temperament to have this kind of dog in your house, in your lives. So we found a breeder in the United States. There's only just a very small handful of them. And we made connection with um, a gentleman out of Georgia. And of course, we got on the list to have a puppy. And as soon as his dogs um, had puppies, um, John and the boys made a road trip out to Georgia and they got the pick of the litter and they adopted Kodiak. So I never thought I would be those people that um, got into purebred dogs and AKC registry and, you know, traveling across the country to pick up animals and all that kind of fun stuff. But yeah, be careful what you say you're not ever going to do because, yeah, that came right back around and, and bit me. So we adopted Kodiak, again, best dog ever. So we decided, oh, no, let me back up. John decided that we are going to start breeding these things. So John got us on another list to get the male, a male puppy, once um, his dogs had puppies from Georgia. And sure enough, you know, the next year they had puppies. And of course, there was a male. So off the boys go to Georgia again to get the pick of the litter. And they bring home Dakota, who is just the best dog ever. So um, now we have two Finnish, two purebred Finnish Spitz AKC registered dogs. Um, and the goal, of course, of John and the breeder in Georgia was for us to start breeding um, these dogs. And you know, oh my gosh. So yeah. And did I tell you they bark 160 barks a minute? And now we have a Kodiak and now we have a Dakota and the barks. Um, again, great dogs, love them to death, but holy cow. So flash forward about, I don't know, a year, um, Kodiak and Dakota hooked up and lo and behold, um, Kodiak got pregnant and only one of her puppies survived. Um, she had a litter of three, but being her first litter, I guess it's pretty common. Again, this is all new to me. I never thought I'd be a Finnish Spitz dog breeder. Um, did my research. We had a little puppy pen in our bedroom because you have to watch them around the clock because there's so much to breeding dogs. Um, yeah, so there's that. But anyway, Kodiak had this litter and two sweet puppies didn't make it. 
But one did, and the one that made it, I don't think, hit the ground because the boys were right there watching and witnessing this whole new experience of ours. And when the puppy was born, um, they held her and, you know, just took care of her. And we now have um, Cheyenne, who is the puppy, and she's not quite a year old right now, but that dog is the most spoiled, rotten dog you could ever imagine. Um, because, she, like I said, she never hit the ground when she was born. I mean, she landed basically in the boy's hands, and that's pretty much the rest of the story, because that's Cheyenne for you. But now we have three purebred Finnish Spits, um, and then we have the Yukon dog that's got part in her. And then when John's father passed away in 2020, um, we inherited his mutt named Cindy, who's the best dog ever. But again, she was adopted from the shelter and um, she just tries really, really hard to be like a Finnish Spitz. And yeah, it's it's pitiful because the dogs are barking like crazy and Cindy doesn't know how to bark. So she makes these guttural sounds that sound like a dying calf. It's horrible. But I know I went off on a huge rabbit trail there. But all that said, we ended up with, you know, from one dog to five dogs, just like that. So a couple years ago, we decided to um, take a couple of the dogs with us on this adventure of ours. Okay, so now it brings us back to poor me in my Suburban with five boys riding cross country three days with not only the boys and us and all of our stuff we carry, but dogs. Um, the first year, we actually took three dogs, and man, that was a handful. We had Yukon, we had Kodiak, and we had Dakota. So that, um, yeah, it's just a blur, because you think about all it takes to not only prepare for a big trip like this for three weeks um, for yourself, but as most women can relate, um, I'm usually the one that packs for everybody. Um, they pack their own stuff, but I pack everything else. So when one of the boys says, Mom, you know, I forgot my, you know, band-aids. Oh, well, here you go. Or Mom, I forgot my toothpaste. Oh, here you go. So Mom's always the one that has everything else that you could ever imagine. Um, even though my husband denies it when it's time to go fishing and he goes, oh, I can't, I can't find my pliers or my multi-tool. You know, out comes my pink handled, you know, mini multi-tool that I always carry with me because lo and behold, I know that somebody's going to need it when we need to go fishing. So all of that said, um, think about uh, everything that you have to pack for a trip like this. Now you have to take care of dog stuff. So of course you have to take all their food and all of their leashes. And, you know, I had to order heavy duty harnesses, you know, body harnesses that, you know, strap in five different places because these dogs are strong. I mean, they're like sled pulling dogs. They are all muscle. And when they've got a mind to go left and you want them to go right, you're going left. Um, they just, they're very strong and hard headed. And, um, yeah, so we had to invest in pretty, pretty heavy duty secure harnesses for this trip and leashes and just on and on and on. 
So all of that we had loaded on top of everything else that we had inside of our vehicle. Um, Kodiak, I think, barked halfway through Texas. Um, you would think that she would get a sore throat or get a little hoarse, but nope. She just likes to hear herself bark. And I think we decided today we were talking about this as a matter of fact, that, you know, maybe she thinks that there's another dog that she's barking at and she's barking for both of them because she just loves to bark all the time. And uh, yeah, so there's that. And then, of course, all the vet records, you know, you can't travel across the state or into another state, especially a national park, if you don't have everything current, their medicines, their shots, their rabies, you know, all their tags. Because if you get stopped by an officer and they check and you don't have the current records, it's a pretty, pretty hefty fine in the national parks if you are carrying and Un- unvaccinated dog with you. So yeah, so there's always adventure. And, and I love hearing my boys talk about those stories when we did take the dogs. And, you know, just some of the, the fun that we've had, you know, Kodiak learned from a very Kodiak again is the barky one. Um, she learned from a very young age what a moose was. She learned what a buffalo was. So when we'd be driving throughout Yellowstone National Park and she was on one of the boys' laps, you know, we'd go through a buffalo herd that was crossing the highway or crossing the inner park road. Um, Kodiak just went nuts. And so we learned, you know, we taught her what, what a buffalo was and she could actually tell the difference. You know, when we'd say buffalo, she'd look at a buffalo. Or if we'd say, look, there's an elk you know, she'd, she'd look at the elk and we thought she was pretty smart distinguishing between the two. But anyway, so this this last year we decided not to take any of the dogs and it, it's kind of nice. You know, it was kind of nice waking up every morning in the mountains um, with, by the way, zero oxygen up here because when you come from sea level or actually we're 13 feet above sea level where we live and all of a sudden your campsite is at 8,400 feet um, and out your back window of your, you know, fifth wheel travel trailer, you see mountain peaks and snow, you know, it's, it takes a few days to get acclimated. So your lungs can learn how to compensate for not having oxygen in them all the time. So it's definitely, definitely a, uh, an adventure and the kids get to really experience what all that's about. The other neat thing that happened last year and this year are the boys, um, they're training for football camp and they took this trip and turned it to their advantage as far as their workouts go. So you always hear about all the athletes that go to, you know, Denver or Colorado Springs and they train up in high elevation in the mountains to acclimate so it uh, works their lungs, you know, harder. So when they get back to sea level ish, um, they can endure much longer because they have strong, healthy lungs in because of their training. So my boys were doing that, you know, every night they were doing this regimen of exercises and, you know, push-ups and sit-ups and mountain climbers and jumping jacks and all these crazy things working out with weights. And, you know, I was just watching them through my windows, just getting winded, just watching them go. But, you know, it, it really paid off. And a lot of our hikes that we did, um, my last, what, two weeks ago, I talked about the podcast that Luke took me on those death marches where we'd go to the very bottom of the canyons. And, you know, we got to go see the, you know, Yellowstone River, um, right up 
close and personal because we had to go to the bottom. Um, but they really worked hard getting back to the top. Whereas, you know, thank God they had benches or not benches, but like rock carve outs where us folks that aren't used to this kind of activity, you know, could take a little pause or maybe look look out across the the canyon and get some great pictures while you send your kids ahead. You know, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. You you go ahead. I'm I'm just gonna stay here. No, it's more like this. You go ahead. I'm just gonna stay here and get some pictures because it's so pretty. You know, it's kind of like that. But nonetheless, um I made it and I'm proud of myself for making it from the bottom to the top um, of the canyon. And by the way, it was 400 feet in elevation over a half a mile um, change. So that, that's pretty steep. Um, lots of switchbacks on rocks and steep trails, but I'm pretty proud of myself for that. But the boys were running up those switchbacks, running and working their lungs really hard. And you know what? When they came home, it really paid off because when they went to their football conditioning camp um, immediately following on that Monday when we came home from our trip, you know, they had they had pretty good endurance, you know, where they missed a, a couple days because we were gone. Um, they jumped right into it without a problem because they worked really hard because it was important to them to stay, you know, healthy and, you know, somewhat fit when we're on these trips, um, doing the best you can, you know, eating as healthy as you can, because they knew they had to get back to some rigorous and strenuous activities. It was really hard for them this year because we are, again, we're up in the mountains and it was, there were, there were days that the highs were in the 30s and the lows were in the low 20s. We saw sleet, we saw snow, we saw snow accumulations. Um, if you've ever spent any time in the mountains and been involved in one of those mountain thunderstorms that pop up, they're really, really cool. Um, a little unnerving when you're, you know, 10,000 feet up in the air and um, not really much place to hide in case of a lightning storm. But um, it's, it's pretty cool to be a part of that and to see that and to teach the kids. Because one of the takeaways on this trip, um, Luke especially, was commenting how many things that he witnessed that were so unsafe. And you know, I, I got to hand it to them that apparently everything that you as a parent teach your kids, you know, some of it sticks and some of it, you know, it means a lot to them. They may not let you know right off the bat that um, you're right and you're making sense. But when you hear them say something that you've been trying to teach them for years, you hear them recite that back to you. It's pretty cool, pretty cool thing. So he was sharing, you know, when we would do do some of the hikes or some of the trails, um, this is a dangerous place. You know, Yellowstone National Park, the Tetons, or any place that you go where there are large wildlife predators, such as brown bears, black bears, um, there's moose, there's wolves, there's elk. Um, there's all kinds of critters out here that could um, really, really hurt you if you're not aware of your surroundings at all times. Not only the wildlife critters, but also the natural formations. There are so many cliffs and so many drop-offs, um, especially up here in Yellowstone. It's known for, I mean, it's an active volcano. 
So there are so many geysers and hot springs and um, mud pots and all these different geological features that are going on all the time that if you step off of a designated boardwalk or a designated path, you know, just not even a foot off of the designated area, you could actually fall through, you know, very thin earth and they would never find you because it's the the liquid below is boiling, it's acidic, um, it's it would just disintegrate you. So it, this can be a very, very dangerous place if you're not super careful. So John and I were always over the top, you know, watching the kids and keeping them close because um, one, one wrong move and I mean, you're done. And again, like I, I said before, this is the land of no cell service. I mean, you have no connection whatsoever. There's very few areas within this national park that have very spotty, very limited cell service and uh, very, very limited Wi-Fi. So if something happens, you're you're pretty much on your own for a pretty good length of time until you could go get help or somebody could go get um, help directed in your location. So some of the things, you know, Luke was pointing out to me when we were hiking or walking different trails or boardwalks, you know, he'd, he'd tug on me and say, mom, you know, look at, look at that mom over there. She's not even looking at her kid. And there'd be this little toddler, you know, just walking right too close to the edge of a huge drop off in a canyon. Or, you know, when we were over near the Old Faithful boardwalks, you know, everything over there is is spewing and sputtering and spitting and, you know, smoking and steaming, you know, and there's a boardwalk and you're very, very close to this dangerous ground. And so many times we, we watched, you know, families with young, young kids you know, they're just not looking at their kids. And it just it scares me to the core, you know, the thinking of of all the what ifs, you know, what could have happened if one wrong step or, you know, a sibling pushed their younger sibling off the boardwalk, you know, that's, that's pretty, pretty scary stuff. There are signs everywhere um, and posters scattered everywhere throughout, you know, the trails and boardwalks that talk about how many people have died um, by not reading the signs or by wandering off the boardwalks. Um, so you've got to pay attention. And, and it's again, it's really cool to hear, you know, your 13 year old regurgitate all of these safety warnings that, you know, I've been preaching to him all his life about, you know, doing the right thing and keeping safe and looking at your surroundings and looking over your shoulder because out here, you're not only dealing, you know, with the natural formations and such, but there's bears. And we saw more bears and cubs and grizzlies, black bears and grizzlies this year than we had ever seen out here. Um, so every time we were in the area, you know, we saw bears. And you always have to carry your bear spray. You know, you just always have to be alert and aware because it's that one moment that you let your guard down. That's when things happen. And a perfect example is, you know, we got wrapped up into one of the bear jams that are really popular here in the park. Um, if, if there's a bear sighting, you know, people start pulling over and they're getting out of their vehicles and they have their cameras and, and we're, we're that family as well. You know, John will dump me and the kids out with our cameras and we'll go to where everybody's at and we'll be looking and taking pictures and he'll go park his truck and, you know, somewhere safe where he's able to and come join us. So you see that quite a bit. 
But one um, episode that happened this last trip is everybody was so focused on, you know, this right side of the road um, down this little hillside. And, and when there's that big of a bear jam, I mean, the park rangers are right there as well. You know, they're making sure that we're staying at least 100 yards away from the bears. And they're doing their part to keep traffic moving. Because when they're stopping in the middle of the street, you know, you're getting in these big traffic jams, and it can, it can get really dangerous really quickly. So we were taking pictures of this one bear, you know, on the, the hillside. Well, when the bear got out of sight, you know, everybody was turning around, walking back to their vehicles. And we looked across the road, not not 20 yards up off the road, there was another bear that was just watching all of us. So talk about making the hair on the back of your neck stand up straight. Um, like we always say, it's not the bears that you see, it's the ones that you don't see that you have to be aware of. Not just bears, but you know, any wildlife critter. It's not the ones that you see, but always keep looking over your shoulder because you never know what's out there. But um, just keep instilling those safety messages to your loved ones, especially young kids, because eventually these messages that you're passing on will stick. And hopefully they'll carry those messages and experiences with them, you know, throughout their life when they get older. And I actually told Luke this, you know, on this last trip, I said, Luke, you know, when he was taking pictures and, you know, he, he gets his own camera, his own good camera, and he's become quite the photographer. But he was telling me, you know, how much he loves this and he looks forward to this trip every year. And I told him, I said, Luke, I hope one day when you, you know, when you grow up and you have a family of your own, you know, and he didn't even let me finish my sentence. He goes, oh, mom, he goes, we're totally coming here. This is where we're going to be coming for, for many, many more years. So that made me happy. But anyway, hopefully you have enjoyed my ramblings about um, my adventures, my family adventures, my dog adventures, um, getting out of the Texas heat. And it is, it's in the triple digits, heat warnings, heat indexes, um, way super high and super dangerous. And I just keep thinking how just a week ago, we had our heater on and we were watching the snow and the ice fall from the sky. And I cannot tell you how many layers of shirts and wool socks and heavy jackets that I had on um, under several blankets. Um, it's just a, a very, very stark contrast um, from one extreme to the other. But I wouldn't change it for anything. And I'm going to keep coming back up here with my family, whoever wants to join me, and making more memories for many, many more years to come. Because there is no better place than the outdoors, roaming the woods and waters, and making memories that will last a lifetime. This is Heidi Rayo, and you have heard another North American Outdoors podcast. For more information, visit NorthAmericanOutdoors.org and follow me on Instagram at North American Outdoors. Have a great day.